This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner-nominated Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Hacha! Hi, this is Steve Lealoha. I'm one of the artists of Fables, and you're listening to the Two-Handed Nerd Comic Cast with Joe and Matt. Welcome to episode 128 of THN, where we're talking comics and nerd news and cryptozoological discoveries for the week of August 21st. My name is Joe Patrick. You can find me at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter, and when I'm not fast-tracking construction on the Jaeger I'm building in my garage to fend off the kaiju onslaught, the invasion has already begun! I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and the artist slash co-creator of Good Plus, which you can find at goodpluscomic.com. With me today, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Wooly Toots. I'm Jared Savitas, that's at Wooly Toots on the Twitter, and when I'm not flunking out of the Jaeger program because I'm too much of a wild card to follow orders... I write for TwoHeadedNerd.com and desperately strive to drive a wedge between Matt and Joe's D&D characters as the Dungeon Master for the Kinky Wizards. It's working, too. In this week's episode, you'll hear our reviews of Batman Beyond Universe number 1 and Fearless Dawn in Outer Space number 1. After that, we'll review 10 of this week's comics faster than you can say Longhorn Cowfish during the ludicrous speed round. Then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where the pressure of the ocean depths will give us visions of next week's comics. And finally, Jared and I will pull our chairs up to the round table when we review Camelot 3000 in our Take a Look, It's in a Book segment. But before we pull Excalibur from the stone, let's take a deep breath, remind ourselves that Gili was a long time ago, and then we'll talk about this week's big news. In a surprise announcement Thursday night, Warner Brothers revealed that none other than Academy Award-winning star and director of Argo, Ben Affleck, will don the cape and cowl of Batman in Zack Snyder's untitled Man of Steel follow-up. In a statement to the press, WB Secretary Greg Silverman said, quote, We knew we needed an extraordinary actor to take on one of DC Comics' most enduringly popular superheroes, and Ben Affleck certainly fits that bill and then some. The film was also given a specific release date of July 17, 2015. Affleck is no stranger to superhero movies, of course, having starred in the less-than-well-received Daredevil film from 2003. The new film, sometimes called Superman vs. Batman, was announced last month at Comic-Con International in San Diego to much fanfare. Mr. Toots, tell me what you're feeling. I'm feeling Ben Affleck is Batman. That's what I'm feeling. <laughs> I'm feeling. I can see the guy. Let him put on the cowl, man. Yeah. I don't see him doing a bad job. I mean, he's a good actor. Yes. Um, he's really, you know, put in his time coming from a nobody guy to a big time actor director guy. Why not? Sure. Why not? Like we all recognize that Ben Affleck had a rough patch. We've all seen Reindeer Games. Everyone's had a rough patch. Tell me an actor that hasn't had a rough patch. <laughs> That's right. But like the last several years, everything he's put out has been really good. Whether it's directing or acting or both, you can't argue that Ben Affleck hasn't kind of turned it around. Yeah. And right now, I just want to hug the guy. I mean, there are so many people that are upset. The internet was a wild place to be last there's night. A, there's, people are trying to get it recasted. There's like yeah. a petition or some oh, sure. craziness going on. When Michael Keaton was announced as Batman... Warner Brothers received 50,000 complaints. 50,000 complaints. Because nobody wanted Mr. Mom to be Batman. Yeah. And the same thing happened when they announced Heath Ledger as the Joker. They went, him? Really? Right. And 
my reaction is not negative. It's just surprise. Like I'm surprised at the choice. I'm surprised that he's doing it. I don't think he's incapable. I and I certainly don't think he's going to ruin Batman. If anything, Zack Snyder's going to ruin Batman. <laughs> that, <laughs> like, well, yeah. I mean, uh, he has his own vision, right? And so I'm confident that Affleck can do a good job. I it was just kind of unexpected, and I'm wondering if you know they announced this movie with that quote from Dark Knight Returns yes. at Comic Con. Yes, are they going to play Affleck as like a, a Batman that's older sure. than Superman? Like, obviously not you know 50 like dark knight returns batman but you know somebody who's been at it for a while i'm hoping that's the edge they go for i would really like Like, i'm i'm more upset over a redo or a retelling of batman than ben affleck is batman this close to the nolan movies for sure yeah right do we really need that and then here's the thing about the nolan movies i don't think that batman works in a team mentality that man batman is a very singular ninja character so I see like Ben Affleck's Batman as being the type of guy that's like, all right, Superman, let's team up and let's form a super team of dudes. Let's all be super bros. <laughs> and Nolan's Batman just doesn't do that for me. I don't think it's possible for Nolan's Batman to work in a world where there are superpowers. I, th- I mean, this has to be sure. a, re- a reboot of the character. But if they go with an older version and just say, look, he's Batman. He's been at it a while. Maybe they can reboot the character, but not retell the origin. I don't need to see him becoming Batman again. Right. We don't. Everyone knows it. Just tell us he's Batman and go, and I'll be fine with that. Yeah. But yeah, it's just, it's unexpected. The internet freaked out. But remember when they said Chris Evans is going to be Johnny Storm. I hate that guy. Oh, he's back. Oh, but he was pretty good. Oh, well, now he's Captain America. Oh, I hate that guy. Oh, but he's really actually pretty great. Yeah. So I I think it's going to be fine. He'll surprise everybody. I agree. In other movie news, The Hollywood Reporter has confirmed that Academy Award winner Bradley Cooper is in talks to voice Rocket Raccoon in Marvel Studios' upcoming Guardians of the Galaxy film. The actor is no stranger to action films, but according to the Internet Movie Database, this would be Cooper's first voiceover work. Meanwhile, Starbuck herself, Katie Sackhoff, expressed interest in playing Harley Quinn should the character ever make her way into a live-action project. In an interview with Esquire, Sackoff said, quote, I'd probably sell my firstborn at this point to do that. So, Joe, are either of these stars a good fit for these roles? I think Katie Sackoff would do a great job as Harley Quinn. I just wouldn't have, like, picked her. You know, mm-hmm. she's never really done anything, you know, like, manic and crazy. Right. Uh, so it would, it would not have been my first thought, but I think she would do great at it. It's funny, like... We saw that post earlier in the day, yes. yesterday, and I thought, well, good luck with that. We're not going to get a live action <laughs> Harley Quinn ever. Right. And then five hours later, we there's Batman. So maybe. Yeah, maybe. It, it could happen. And I think she'd do a great job. Uh, as for the Rocket Raccoon thing, I'm not enthused. Not because Bradley Cooper, I don't think he'd do a bad job. It's just in my head, when I think of Rocket Raccoon's voice, mm-hmm. I think of like some kind of cockney like british right like i think i think rocket raccoon sounds like bob hoskins <laughs> or the geico gecko <laughs> right let's do hoskins i like that one and so like bradley cooper just doesn't seem like a good fit i don't know what do you yeah. think no i'm not i don't i don't think bradley bradley cooper is right i'm sure he would do a good job I don't know who I would pick to be rocket because i never really thought of him as having an accent of any sort but I believe I was told by other people I believe that he should. 
or he did in he did in other things. He was like in a cartoon, I think, and then he was in a video game. Marvel versus Capcom three. Right. And he yeah, did yeah. Have, he had that British accent, okay. I think. So whatever you want to do is fine. And then um Sackoff, I think I wasn't even thinking of Harley being in a movie, right? right? And so for her to come forth and say she wants to do it and her being so passionate about it, I think that is a thing to give thumbs up to and say, all right, yeah, man, you want to do it and you are this passionate and into it, do it. And I don't think you need to resurrect the Joker in any way to bring her character into a movie. Right. I think just the legacy of the Joker is enough to have her character be in a film yeah i mean originally her identity was so closely tied to the joker but now you know she's such an independent character now like yeah she's been in her own series she's in uh other books with, where the joker's nowhere around yep like i can see gotham her, girls or whatever what was that yeah, one uh yeah gotham um gotham city sirens God, that it is that it is and i can i can totally see her being in a movie with no need to have the Joker featured like if you want to like you said if you want to reference it yeah that's fine but yeah I I think it's a I think it's a good idea like maybe when this shared DC movie universe gets off the ground maybe it'll happen maybe yeah and finally WB Games Montreal has released a new trailer and several screenshots for their upcoming prequel Batman Arkham Origins in the game Black Mask sends a cadre of assassins after the Dark Knight including Deathstroke Bane copperhead firefly and more the sexy copy head copperhead that's oh is that uh, it, it's a new sexy gal i saw it, the gal i didn't know if that was copperhead or what the screenshots reveal that anarchy and a female sword slinger that may or may not be katana will also appear in the game plus the trailer gives us a good sampling of the new voices for batman and joker who will be played by roger craig smith and troy baker arkham origins will be released on october 25th now, Jared, you're our go-to video game guy. Do you think Arkham Origins will hold up next to the previous installments? And should we be worried that the franchise has been passed on to another developer? Well, that's a good question because you always get mixed feelings when something like this gets passed on. You know, like uh, Gears of War got passed on. Halo now moved on to a different developer. Yeah. You know, that just is the nature of the beast. I don't think it'll be bad. I think it can only be good it looks cool it looks it cool really as looks hell. cool and i like the idea behind it and i feel that uh if any developer is going to want to follow in the steps of a game like you know the previous batman games man they got to step it up they got to put they're all into it i saw some e3 footage where um one of the guys that worked for the developer was describing you know here's the new detective mode and how you like piece together crime scenes and stuff yeah. like how you recreate events and and you know people are like well if this is a prequel how come he didn't already have all this gear it's it's like, the, the r2d2 syndrome the answer is it's video games shut up <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, it looked really neat i do kind of feel bad like i'm so attached to kevin conroy and mark hamill but yeah they sound pretty close yeah i i saw an interview with the guys actually too and they both did their voices and i was like Ah, that, that's good. Yeah, it's passable for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the new developer, uh, WB Games Montreal, can pick up where Rocksteady left off. I'm hopeful. I'm with you. All right. This mound of diseased hyenas who's not fit to lick the dirt from my spats. But 
I digress. That is the unintentionally bat-centric big news for this week. If you want to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, hit us up on our Facebook page where Jared and I are competing to see which one of us can come up with the most jokes about Batman having a Boston accent. There's also probably some comedy gold to be mined from the Matt Damon as Robin jokes (laughs) as well. Every Friday, Joe Patrick posts the question of the week on our Facebook and Twitter, and then we read your responses and play your voice messages on the THN Answer of the Week podcast, which hits every Wednesday. Joe, what did we ask these nerds this week? This week's question, which comic hasn't received a video game yet, but really deserves one? Bonus points for explaining the kind of game you think it should be. Like, what uh, is it a platformer? Is it a puzzle game? Is it first person? You know. It's iPhone game. Yeah, mobile app. It's a mobile <laughs> app. Now, we love it when you call us with your answer to the question of the week on Skype. Our Skype handle is 2 Nerd, Or at our Ziggurat direct line, 402-819-4894. However, with Matt still out of town, there will be no answer of the week podcast this Wednesday. Instead... We'll be responding to your answers exclusively on Facebook and Twitter, as we did in the dark ages before Google Voice came into our lives. Sorry about that. He's only gone for one more week. It's going to be okay. (laughs) It's review time on THN, where Joe and I partner with two of this week's new comics and see if they're drift compatible. Joe... What did you try and mind link with this week? My pick for this week is Batman Beyond Universe number one from DC Comics, written by Kyle Higgins and Christos Gage, with art by Thony? Thony. I'm saying maybe Tony? <laughs> Tony. With Thony Silas and Iben Coelho, with a cover by Sean Murphy. A really good cover. It's beautiful. Here's your solicit. Very succinct. The new series begins here with all new creative teams and all new adventure. That's it. That's it. I've only seen a handful of episodes of Batman Beyond and just read a few scattered issues of the comic version. I know enough about the concept to keep up, but I don't have an in-depth knowledge of the series' backstory or even a strong attachment to the character. It was Kyle Higgins' name that drew me to this issue. I've been enjoying his run on Nightwing a lot. I'm glad I gave it a read because it turned out to be the start of a fun story that I plan on following for a while. This issue actually contains two stories, both digital first. The first is by Higgins with art by uh, Thony Silas or Tony, sorry. (laughs) Tony, Tony. Tony, Tony, Tony. (laughs) There were a lot of references to past continuity here. Apparently, this picks up a year after the last issue of Batman Beyond Unlimited, but it was easy enough to pick up. It wasn't, you know, it's not rocket science. A mystery villain has murdered the mayor and freed the villains from the newly christened Arkham Institute. And it's up to Batman to yada, yada, yada. The the story is actually pretty standard, but Higgins tells it well. And there are some fun glimpses of characters like Barbara Gordon, Dick Grayson, and Bruce Wayne. Silas's art is decent, though a lot of the characters have a bad case of uh, same face. (laughs) And there are some storytelling problems, but I can tell he's got a lot of potential. The second story is written by Christos Gage with art by Iben Coelho, and it focuses on the Justice League of the future. Superman's powers are out of control thanks to some solar problems, and the Man of Steel is forced to give up his abilities before he becomes a danger to the world. Now, while I came for the Higgins, I stayed for the Gage. (laughs) I like the second story a lot more, 
than the first. I really enjoy this interpretation of the Justice League. They they've got the you know Zen Master Kid Green Lantern. Yes, and the Warhawk character is the son of John Stewart and Hawk Girl from Justice League Unlimited, which I think is great. And while it's different, it feels comfortable, like the pre-New 52 GLA. In fact, there's a Wally West reference in there that put a lump in my throat. Mm. I wasn't expecting it, and there it was. Coelho's art is very strong, and while it does suffer from some muddy storytelling here and there, I was very impressed with his work. Overall, I thought Batman Beyond Universe Number 1 was just simple fun, and sometimes that's enough for me. It's not earth-shattering, but it was time well spent. And it's $3.99, which is more expensive than your standard DC book, but it was two stories. It felt pretty meaty. Like, they didn't skimp on the story. Yeah, it was a thick book. And it's a DC book that didn't fill me full of anger, so <laughs> it, get, it gets points for that. So I'm giving it a buy it. Jared, what did you think? I probably didn't have the same draw to the book as you did. Look, I enjoy a good Elseworlds, Elseworlds story, and I do like future takes on modern characters that we are familiar with. So it's very interesting to see those characters in new roles, like you were saying. I also thought it was funny that they, in any future story, they got to fill the quota of the same team. You know, like we've got a Flash, we've got a Hawkman. Yeah, you got to have a Green Lantern. We've in got there. an Aquaman, but it's a chick. It's Aqua Girl. You know, I mean, that stuff is always funny to me. Like, where was the completely new character that yeah, wasn't based exactly. on somebody else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I really liked the design of the future Superman's costume that stylized S on his chest was really cool and like deceiving at first. I didn't even see it as an S at first. And then I was like, Oh wait, there's the S and it's crazy cool. Um, I guess I'm, I was talking about the second story first there, but, uh, that's all right. Uh, as for the Batman beyond, I think it's funny technology, I guess in the future. And, (laughs) and, right. So you had some characters are wearing glasses, which I'm surprised they just don't have laser eyes fix that. Uh, so they're wearing glasses, but the glasses don't have frames. So they just stick to your face, but people still read textbooks in college. You know, you're not like flipping on a tablet. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Oh, and then you've got people with flip phones and it's just, it, that's pretty funny. It's like the world was the world was conceived in the '90s, where yeah. technology was at this point, and we couldn't conceive like, oh well, there are no more books, but how about no more glasses frames? <laughs> yeah, right, right. And like you said, uh, you know, you're like you hadn't read the previous series. I hadn't either. I hadn't even really watched the TV show, so I was maybe a little lost on like how this character is now at this point, and like how. You know, Nightwing is training this new Batman and blah, blah, blah. But It's not the most friendly to people that are coming in cold, that have never yeah, that's kind of my thing. That For character. being an issue one, yeah, yeah. you know, you would think you'd want maybe a little bit more explanation on things. Maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm asking too much. If you're into the book, I say pick it up. I give it a skim it, yeah. but, you know. I think that's perfectly fair. Like you said, you know, I have a, my attachment's a little stronger, and it might not necessarily be for somebody that's got no interest in Batman Beyond, which is pretty fair. Hey, Barda's in it, and I love Barda. Who doesn't love Barda? <laughs> What'd you review this week, buddy? I read Fearless Dawn in Outer Space. It's a one-shot from Asylum Press. It is written and drawn by Steve Mannion. I believe that is how you would say his name. Sounds right to me. Here is the solicit. Steve Mannion's bodacious bad girl is back in this superbly drawn comic book masterpiece. In this issue, 
Fearless Dawn's arch nemesis, Helga von Kraus, is at it again, this time planning an attack from outer space. Of course, no one believes Fearless Dawn when she predicts the attack, so our gal has to do it all alone again. Will Fearless Dawn save planet Earth? Retro rockets, muscle-bound monsters, babes and machine guns litter the sequential landscape in this latest offering from the maestro Steve Mannion. Now, Joe... It's very modest. Yeah. Joe, I don't know shit about this character. No. Uh, actually, I thought I'd never even heard of her before until I did some research, and I saw that she was on a... There was like a 2010 or 2011 free comic book day book from Asylum Press, and I recognized the cover when I saw that artwork, so I did see it at one point. So when you asked me to do my pick of the week, and I went over and was casually glancing at the new books, this issue just like jumped out at me. The cover... I thought looked kind of fun. And when I started flipping through it, I was like, how did I not pre-order this book? <laughs> uh, the book itself is pretty wild. You have Fearless Dawn, who is some sort of superheroine, but she doesn't really have any superpowers. She's kind of like a, an action chick. You know, she uses guns. She fights Nazi zombies and odd monsters. And there's all this other weirdness. The story is crazy. And there's a wonky drug-induced dream sequence that kind of sets the tone for the rest of the book. The solicit pretty much covers everything story-wise. So what I would like to focus on is this gorgeous artwork that it's I have just discovered. Very well drawn. Uh, Steve Mannion is a good girl artist of the highest caliber. The book just literally oozes cheesecake. Dawn and her arch nemesis Helga are super curvy. They're scantily clad. Mr. Mannion now makes me feel attracted to a Nazi criminal. I, I know. And, and I haven't I felt bad. I haven't felt that since Danger Girls, Natalia Castle. <laughs> so uh, there's a great panel of Kraus, and it's close up, and she simply states, "The moon sucks." Yes. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Mannion's artwork effortlessly slides from delightfully cartoony to a very detailed line work, and I mean, I just was eating it up. Uh, the book is also produced in like a penciled style. You see Mannion's... It's just pencils, no ink. Yeah, you, like, right? and you can see his guidelines and like his character structures beneath the finished pencils. I think it's great. It's like looking directly at his original pages. I really enjoyed the book. I uh, would like to read some more. I'm planning on trying to track down some back issues. I, I saw that there was a collection out there. This book, I think, is really for fans of like The Goon. And Wally Wood and Mad Magazine. It's also got a classic EC horror feel to it. Yeah. It did remind me a lot of, you know, the style of the goon where you just pick it up and you read it, even though yeah. you might not necessarily be reading the goon number one. It's like, here is the goon. He punches monsters. Right. Go. Yes. And that's what this was. So. Yeah. Fearless, I think, is a fun character. I give it a buy it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, and I wasn't expecting to. Like, I looked at it, I was like, oh my god, what kind of pervo book is this? <laughs> but it, And it is very cheesecakey, but it's sexy without being... It's tasteful cheesecakey, it's not, really. It's not over-sexualized. Yeah. Like, nobody is naked. There's no, like, I'm totally topless, and here's both my butt cheeks and both my boobs in the same shot. Right. It's like you said, it's like pinup art, yeah, kind of. Yeah, yes. And I really enjoyed it. It's very wacky. It's not the sort of thing that like I'm drawn to, but I did have fun reading it. Like I don't think I'll seek it out or or, or read anymore. So I'm giving it a skim it because you kind of have to be in the mood for it. But yes. it's very well done, and I was very impressed when I was. My expectations were actually very low, 
and uh, it was a, it was a pleasant surprise, and I'm glad you picked it. High fives, Joe. High fives. It's a very niche book, I feel. So, like, it's not for everybody, but yeah, it's there. But if you liked it, well, there you go. So, that's one buy it and one skim it for both Batman Beyond Universe and the Fearless Dawn in Outer Space one shot. Of course, we want to know what you futuristic bad girls thought of these comics. So, be sure to hit us with your opinions in the comments section. For this episode at TwoHeadedNerd.com This week's new comic book day was interrupted by the discovery of a class 5 kaiju off the coast of Spain. Jared and I have loaded our newly completed Jaeger onto the fastest transport we can find and started racing our way to Europe before the thing can slink back into the hole it came from. Looks like we've got just enough time to review 10 comics before we kick some kaiju ass during this week's Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed! Go! Sixth Gun, number 33 from Oni Press. Ever since the first issue was released on Free Comic Book Day, I have been on board with this book. Cohen Bunn and Brian Hurt's supernatural western tale about six guns from hell has become one of my favorite comics of all time. Hurt's line work is so clean yet detailed at the same time. I understand if you jumped in with this issue, you would be lost. But this book is worth it. Becky Montcrief fights for her life on a ghost dance through the spirit world while back on the mortal plane, her companions seek those out who pursue her on the spirit side. Pick up the trades and get caught up. And I think the next take a look into the book should be the creative team's The Damned. You nerds can even read my autographed copy. I gave it a buy it. Hey, I read The Damned and I love it. <laughs> Affinity, Silver Surfer against the Tide number one, Marvel. This is a digital release by Jason Latour and Augustin Alessio. It came out last week, but, you know, we skipped a week, so whatever. It was really good. Latour writes a badass Nornrad that comes to the Scroll home world to help fight off a builder invasion. The art by Alessio is breathtaking. It's not strictly essential to the Infinity story, but it's a lot of fun and it's only $1.99. Buy it. Lobster Johnson, Ascent of Lotus, number two from Dark Horse. Our vigilante Lojo finds himself helping Chinese immigrants in their struggles against Japanese oppressors. At the same time, detectives are on his trail. For only being two issues, John Arcudi sure packs a lot of story in here. Sebastian Fiumara yeah. provides the artwork, and it's fan-freaking-tastic. I love that Lojo is an ongoing series, yet any of these books can be read independently of each other and really in any order. Yeah. There's a Japanese witch with a creepy monkey familiars that wear ceramic kabuki masks and shoot little guns. What more do you need? Buy it, Joe. Buy it. <laughs> Ugly Studios presents number one. Buy Ugly Studios. <laughs> the first two issues of this self-published series were sent to us by artist and co-writer Jason Lennox, and I'm totally glad he contacted us. The first story about Griselda the Necromancer isn't really my cup of tea, but Lennox and his co-writer David Paul do a great job telling the story. I really enjoyed, though, the second tale, The Great Vermin. It had a fun twist ending, and the Lennox art is great throughout. I'm giving it a buy it. Go to thisisugly.com, and that's ugly with a Y. U-G-L-I. You ain't got no alibi. And check it out. These guys have a ton of potential fun stuff. He-Man and the Masters of the Universe number five from DC. I was 10 years old when the vintage Master of the Universe toy line hit the market in 1982, and I couldn't get enough of it. Since I'm a firm believer that 80s franchises like He-Man, 
Transformers, and G.I. Joe should stay in the 80s? I've not read any of the modern takes on them, not wanting to destroy my fond childhood memories. But I felt I needed to try something new for review and figured, what the heck? It's He-Man. This issue is 95% backstory, origin, and reveals. I expected action and awesome, but felt overwhelmed by all this jibba-jabba. It helped prove my point. Keep the 80s in the 80s. Leave it. Oh, damn. Chin music number two, Image. Chin music is back after a lengthy wait between issues, and I'm more confused than ever. We talked about how issue one was hard to follow, and the delay didn't do the story any favors. Of course, Tony Harris's art is transcendent, but... If someone asked me what this series was about, I'm not sure I could tell them. Skim it. Conan the Barbarian, number 19 from Dark Horse. Conan and Billy return to the high seas and come across a mysterious relic through piracy. The relic takes them to a mysterious town and forest in search of something called the Black Stones. Paul Azaketa is the artist for the storyline, and his work is a double-edged sword for me. I'm not a fan of Paul's interpretations of the cast and characters, but I think his take on the garb they wear and the fanatics Conan tussles with is really great. I also love how eerie the environments feel and it's backed up by a constant rain. The mood is set for horror and mystery. Again, this is not the Conan I grew up with, but it's still great. Bravo, Brian Wood and team. Buy it. Bloodshot number zero, Valiant. Matt Kent comes to Valiant and gives us some deep background on Bloodshot alongside artist Chris Cross. Normally, I'm a huge fan of Cross's work, but I don't think this was his best. Still, this is an interesting peek into the character's history that explains why he's more than just a mindless killing machine. I was going to give it a buy it, but now I'm kind of rethinking it. You can read this if you haven't read Bloodshot at all, but I don't know that it necessarily makes you want to read what's coming next. Mm. So I'm giving it a skim it, even though I like it and I read it. It's not going to be for everybody. Skim it. Steampunk Corsair is number one from Antarctic Press. This book came out last week, but we are doing catch-up from last week. And I do not suffer from the same steampunk allergies as Matthew does. In fact, I kind of dig steampunk. I also dig me some pirates. So you put the two in a shaker and mix them up with some manga-influenced art and story by Rod Espinoza, and you get this book. Four gals are the crew of a steampunk submarine, and they sail the seas, stealing Spanish gold for the crown. It's mainly an excuse for Rod to draw the girls running around in bloomers and under things while wearing goggles on their head. <laughs> uh, there are two short stories presented here, and neither are very interesting. I say leave it. Thunderbolts number 14, Marvel. Charles Soule joins the title as of this issue, which is labeled as an Infinity tie-in. You will get to the end of this issue and wonder how it qualifies for tie-in status, but it's just the first part of a longer story. If you follow the solicits, it's clear that it's going to pick up. Artist Hefte Paolo joins the book as well, and I like his stuff, though it will not be for everybody. While I liked this more than I did the Daniel Way issues early on, I still don't really care about this assemblage of characters. The decent story and art help, but not enough. Skim it. Bada, bada, bada. That is your Noodler Chris speed round, and bada, bada, bada is the sound of a bunch of Al Capone's flunkies getting ganked in a drive-by, as seen in the pages of this week's Chin Music number two. Now, join us in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum as Jared and I don our deep-sea diving gear 
to catch a glimpse of the longhorn cowfish's habitat where the intense pressure of the ocean depths will cause us to hallucinate a vision of next week's comics. Jared, what are you seeing? My pick for next week is American Vampire Anthology number 1 from Vertigo by Scott Snyder, Becky Cloonan, and their friends. So listen, you are cordially invited to a party to die for. This special features eight amazing stories set in the world of American Vampire with lost tales, new characters, and old favorites. Don't miss these stories brought to you by series creators Scott Snyder and Raphael Albuquerque, as well as other awesome comics talent like Becky Cloonan, Gabriel Baugh, and Fabio Moon, Jeff Lemire, Greg Rucka, Gail Simone, and there's many more. Joe. Sounds like a fun time. What is your pick, buddy? I'm excited for Itty Bitty Hellboy, number one from Dark Horse Comics, by Art Balthazar and Franco. Here's your solicit. A ghost named Rasputin has been spotted, and Hellboy and the BPRD are going to find out what he's up to. Who is Hellboy anyway, and why does he have such a big hand, and what is it used for? Who's weirder, him or his friends, and what is the BPRD, and what does Chicken Soup have to do with all of it? This and more answered in the debut issue where big things happen to Itty Bitty Hellboy. Art Balthazar and Franco do amazing all-ages comics. They've done it for years at DC, and I'm excited to have them bring their talent to Dark Horse and the Hellboy universe. I don't know if it's something that you'd really give to a kid, (laughs) but I'm excited to read it nonetheless. I, too, hope that it still maintains a Hellboy edge and not just silly stuff. The THN trade of the week is the Rocket Raccoon, Tales from Half-World trade paperback from Marvel Comics, written by Bill Mantlo, with art by a young Mike Mignola. Here's your solicit. Relive the early adventures of the furry, feisty, breakout star of Guardians of the Galaxy, captain of the starship Rack and Ruin, chief ranger of Half-World, Rocket protects the Keystone Quadrant. When the toy war erupts, Rocket and his first mate, Wal Russ, must team with Bucky O'Hare. Can they triumph over killer clowns, defeat Lord Divine and Judson Jakes, and cure Half-World's insane population, the Loonies? Oh, and Rocket's a talking raccoon from outer space. We mentioned that, right? Yeah, you mentioned it. It's in his name. Of course. We want to know what you're looking forward to next week, so be sure to come up for air and tell us what comics you're excited for at our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash two-headed nerd. Before we move on, Two-Headed Nerd is looking for brave advertisers and sponsors who aren't afraid to have their good image ruined by our filthy sophomoric humor. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, the answer of the week, or just advertising on our website, shoot us an email at twoheadednerd at gmail.com with the subject line, Sponsorship. It's time once again for Take a Look, It's in a Book, the monthly segment where we try to prove that we have the attention spans necessary to read a book with more than 32 pages. And this one had a lot of pages. Very many. This month, we take a look at the Camelot 3000 Deluxe Hardcover from DC Comics by Mike W. Barr 
and Brian Balland. Here's The Solicit. The classic tale that exploded into comic shops in the early 1980s is collected for the first time in hardcover, featuring a new cover by acclaimed artist Brian Boland. Boland? 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 Yeah. This deluxe oversized volume collects the 12-issue series in its entirety, along with bonus materials including never-before-seen preliminary artwork by Boland and developmental material from writer Mike W. Barr. This was your pick, Jared. You were here one month ago. Yes. For the last Take a Look It's in a Book, what did you think? Uh, this one has been on my radar for years. Uh, not only due to the subject matter, but because of Brian Boland's... Blah, 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 Brian B's covers. <laughs> <laughs> Ever since I first saw his work on like the covers of The Invisibles, I thought the guy was just a master. Uh, On occasion, I would run into a single issue here and there of Camelot 3K and would think, this book is probably for me. Uh, I am a fan of uh, of the Arthurian legend, but am by no means an expert, although I've read and watched many interpretations of the story. So a futuristic take on the story seems like a great idea to me. For the most part, it it is. Uh, The Dust Jacket calls the work a classic. Uh, The foreword written by Barr himself States the book was groundbreaking for its time. It does feature a transsexual knight, which does lead to lesbianism. Incest has always been a part of the Arthurian legend, as well as infidelity. The book was the first to break the standard newsstand format. It's groundbreaking in the sense that it's historical from a publication standpoint. It is the first ever maxi-series. Yeah, 12 issue. And it is also the first ever book to be sold exclusively in the direct market, which was exclusively to comic book stores or you know whoever bought comics from direct market distributors, as opposed to the newsstand market, which is where everybody got their comics before that. Yeah. And since it was distributed to specialty shops, it didn't have to fall under the comics code authority right and so they got anything to, goes they kind of got to push the envelope a got little some bit butts in there yeah but i wouldn't call it a classic along the lines of other 80s dc works like the dark knight returns or the watchman it is something to be recognized it has an importance yes the story is set in the year 3000 and mankind england firstly has come under attack from an alien race now true to the myth Arthur returns at humanity's darkest hour to save his nation, and now the world, from utter destruction. After seeking out Merlin, his mentor and fickle father figure, Arthur's queen and a handful of knights are also reborn in the bodies of unsuspecting civilians. Now, Joe, I thought the story had a lot of promise, but it was a little bit flat for me at times. What might be the biggest hurdle for me was how 80s it felt. Yeah. I mean, for being a sci-fi fantasy of the future, it is way dated. The alien designs, technology, the clothing designs, are they're they're so incredibly 80s with like a weird like twist on them to be futuristic. Right. As I'm reading the book, I'm just stunned by the number of people not wearing pants. Right. Or like really high, like poofy (laughs) underpant type things. It's not like, not in like a, oh, that's scandalous. It's just like, how did fashion evolve to the point where people are just wearing basically bathing suits with frills right on the bottoms and like long arm gloves with polka dots all over them it was kind of distracting a little laughable and um, embarrassing almost the the leaders of the world that those characters were incredibly stereotypical yeah like the american president alone like all of his garb was like american flag garb he had a cowboy hat cowboy boots and spurs with a six shooter like he it was 
over the top. They they were very. It's a, this book is very much a product of its time, and you like the president is definitely like an amalgam of John Wayne and Ronald Reagan. You know, you've got like an Idi Amin, like a Joseph Stalin kind of yeah. guy, and it's it. They're very like one note. Yes. Stereotypes. Yeah. yeah. Good thing they didn't have a real huge part in the book. <laughs> yeah. Right. But you know, Barr took a chance on this story. I mean, its scope and. The reimagining of the legend, it really begs to be an appreciated book. Brian Boland here does not disappoint. His cover work is better than his interiors in this instance, but you can see that this was a large stone on the path to him becoming a master of the craft. And overall, I want to say I give the book a skim it. If you have any interest in the story, I, I suggest check it out. But I don't think it's anything that if you missed out on it, you really missed out on anything spectacular. Sure. Or super important. Right. It's it's not like, you know, like you said, it's not like Watchmen or The Dark Knight Returns, which I think at the very least need to be read by any serious comic fan. Whether you like them or not is irrelevant. You kind of have right. to experience Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns, yes. right? But Camelot 3000 is not on that list. It's not one of those books where it's like, oh, wait. You're into comics and you haven't read Camelot 3000. Yeah. It is very dated. And, you know, telling future stories is kind of a thankless job because, you know, in 20 years, anything you came up with is going to seem ridiculous. You know, in the 50s, when it was the, they were telling stories of the far flung year of 1999 and everyone's wearing jetpacks, you know, it's, it's not going to work after an extended period of time. I will say that I couldn't put it down at times sure like i really i also really like the arthurian legend you could tell that Barr really knew his stuff yeah he hit all the beats like all the beats were there presented mm-hmm. in a different way yeah and he also doesn't whitewash the darker elements like you know i won't spoil the twist that comes later on but there's a character that's a villainous character and he is working for the main villain of the book. Something is revealed about him and his past and his connection to Arthur, and it's very bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, it makes Arthur look like a villain. Yes. There's no attempt to humanize that moment or to explain it away. There is one line where Arthur says, well, you know, you're not going to believe me if I tell you any different, so I'm not going to try. Chop! <laughs> and I loved that. Like, he didn't try to defend himself. He's sure. king f***ing Arthur. Yeah. The art by Boland is, is great. It's a fun fact that there was an enormous delay between issues in the last half of the series. So you can see his art change. If you're bit, looking yeah. closely, you can see that his art takes vast leaps. <laughs> sure. <laughs> because... You know, he's also uh, right around that time. He's like doing the killing joke and, uh, you know, all kinds of of, uh, other work. But it's a beautiful book. The story is very dated. I enjoyed it. It read really quickly, but I can see how it might not be for everybody. I'm giving it a skim it as well. But it was a good pick and I had fun with it. I did too. I'm glad we read it, Joe. Thanks for choosing it, buddy. Hey. Next month. We'll take a look at Edison Rex Volume 1 from IDW, the first collected edition from Chris Roberson's Monkey Brain Comics. I'm excited to read it because I always forget to buy those Monkey Brain Comics. (laughs) They're digital and I just don't even think about it. Right, yes. If you would like to suggest a graphic novel or trade paperback for us to review, email us at twoheadednerd at gmail.com with the subject line, Take a Look.
sort of sort break it, break it down like this. And that is it for the Atlantic Rim episode of THN. If you enjoy listening to the banter of two men that don't think Rocket Fist is a sexual euphemism, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes or Stitcher, where you can give the show a star rating, a written review, or a Stitcher thumbs up and help us connect with other potential listeners. Thanks to all our past donors, and if you'd like to help keep us in spare robot parts and scuba gear, you can make your donation in any amount using our adorable little PayPal button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed, that's at TwoHeadedNerd, our email, TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com, our YouTube channel, THN Comicast, our Skype handle, TwoHeadedNerd, all one word, and our new direct phone number, 402-819-4894, where you and send slash call us with your Ask a Nerd questions or ask the comic pushers what you should be reading or ask us to review your self-published comic, printed, digital, whatever, just like the guys from Ugly Studios did and you see that it worked. I put them on the show. And don't forget to check out all of the new content from the THN Love Slaves at TwoHeadedNerd.com, including a new installment of Saturday Morning Cartoons all about Mask. Mask. And a hilarious girl meets nerd where Casey proves she's more man than Matt Bomb while dealing with their recent bat infestation. Remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion. And if you want to hear our answers along with your own written and audio responses, be sure to check out the Two-Headed Nerd Answer of the Week podcast. If you already subscribe to the show, you don't need to do anything. It will just magically show up in your feed every Wednesday. Like Bam. magic. Next week, we'll step back inside the comic studio to interview Dave Kellett, creator of the webcomics Sheldon and Drive. You may recall it was supposed to be on last week's show, but things happened. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Aaron Myers, the king of Ask a Nerd, who celebrated his 35th birthday last week. Happy birthday. We would have mentioned it on last week's show, but you know. Word to you, Aaron. Mazel tov. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics. Your retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. Jared, it was a pleasure. Oh, man, I enjoyed my second stint here. Thank you. (laughs) 